Let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, for being here with us. No matter where we are or what we do, we can always count on the, the one constant in our life, and that is you. You are always with us, and you have promised that you will never leave us or forsake us. And that is a promise that we can cling to when times are tough, in times of uncertainty like this. And Lord, we thank you that you are the rock, the unchanging, all-loving, never-breaking rock. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us this morning from your word, that we would be blessed by it. And if necessary, I pray that we'd be changed by it. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing this morning our series on the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we find ourselves. Ephesians chapter 4. It's a pleasure to be able to preach to real people <laughs> instead of a camera, uh, which was uh, good while it lasted, I suppose, but here we are. So this morning, uh, we are continuing looking at uh, <clears throat> the Lord, uh, the, the Lord's uh, method of bringing unity to the church. The Lord's method of bringing unity to the church. That's what the book of Ephesians is primarily focused on, is unity among believers, unity in the church. And Ephesians chapter 4 is uh, begins the second half of the book of Ephesians, which is practical steps for achieving unity. Practical steps for achieving unity. So it begins uh, by speaking uh, of... of virtues that are important, uh, one could even say essential for unity. If uh, people are not searching out these virtues, they are going to not find unity. They are going to find that unity is elusive from them. And those virtues are humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We have to begin everything from a place of unity, or sorry, from a place of humility. If we are not seeking humility for ourselves as individuals, we will never find unity among ourselves corporate, corporately. If everyone is seeking their own good rather than the good of their neighbor, we will not achieve unity. That we will, a great way to die alone with no friends is to always look out for number one. We are called as Christians to look out for others more than we look out for ourselves. Philippians chapter 2, Jesus spoke of this. He said, or sorry, not Jesus, the Apostle Paul spoke of this, teaching us that we have to have the mind of Christ. He said, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. That if Jesus had been primarily concerned with looking out for number one, there would be no salvation to speak of. 
The reason that we are saved in the first place is because Jesus did not look out for number one. He looked out for us. And he came and he condescended himself, took on human flesh, and paid the price for our sin in himself. And so the, the entire Christian life is a pursuit of Christ-likeness, of trying to become more like Christ. That is what the Christian life is all about. The book of Romans speaks of this as well in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, which says, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That we are saved by God in order to become more like Christ. That is the purpose of the Christian life, to become more like Christ. The more that we grow to be more like Christ, the easier unity in the church will be. If everyone is seeking to be more like Christ, they will find that they have the same mind because there is only one Christ. There is only one Lord. As it says later on here in in Ephesians chapter 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is Lord over all, or who is over all and through all and in all. This means that as we are pursuing Christ-likeness, there is only one Christ. And so as the one body pursues the one Lord, the easier and easier and easier it will be to find unity in the church, to find unity among brothers. And this unity is not necessarily where we agree on every minute point of doctrine. This is uh, a unity that of uh, a unity of heart, a unity of spirit, where we are pursuing the same goal together, where we are pursuing the same Christ. We are pursuing the things that Christ told us to pursue which is that we go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. That's the Great Commission, is to go and find people who don't know Jesus, help them to to know Jesus, and help them to become more like Jesus. Our responsibility to one another, and our responsibility to the world, and our responsibility to ourselves... And our responsibility to God is all to become more like Christ. We want to help others become more like Christ. We want to help ourselves become more like Christ. God commands us to become more like Christ. And as we do that, unity is something that will naturally follow. Because people won't be concerned about their own vindication. They won't be concerned about being right all the time. They won't be concerned with uh, being top dog, always being in charge, always being listened to, always being respected, always being heard. They will be far more concerned that Christ is all those things, that Christ is respected, that Christ is heard, that Christ is vindicated. And as we all pursue that one goal, then nobody is going to be vying for control or power and nobody is going to be looking to vindicate themselves, will be looking to Jesus. And that's what it's all about. It's all about looking to Jesus. And so Jesus gives us 
uh, people in the church who are uh, tasked with helping the church move towards that goal. So here's what it says. Uh, Let's read together uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses uh, 11 to 16. Please stand in reverence for God's word. And he, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Please be seated. So, the point of the Christian life, the point of your Christian life, is to become more like Jesus. That is the command. Now, how are we supposed to do that? Well, God, in Christ Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has given us certain people who are supposed to be able to help us along those goals. So first, he gives the apostles and the prophets. The apostles and the prophets were uh, offices that God gave to his people uh, in times past. Those are not uh, offices that continue on today. There are no modern-day prophets. There are no modern-day apostles. Anybody who claims to be an apostle or a prophet is a false apostle and a false prophet. There are no more prophets. Not in the same sense as, the, as what we hear of in the Old Testament, where someone can stand up in front of a crowd and say, this is what God says because he spoke to me. Those people don't exist today. God does not speak to prophets anymore. There are no more prophets. And that's controversial, I know. Maybe not to everybody in this room, but probably to some of you who are watching or listening. There are no modern-day prophets. There are no apostles anymore. Those were offices for a specific time, for a specific purpose. And the point of them was to lay the foundation for the rest of us. They were laying a foundation for us. They were delivering the word of the Lord through their mouths and writing it down. And that's where we get the Old Testament through the prophets and the New Testament through the apostles. Each of them is completely authoritative equally in every way. Both are inspired by the same spirit. They are overseen by the same Lord. And there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The apostles and prophets lay the foundation They give God's word. The shepherds and evangelists and the teachers bring that word to people. So evangelists bring the words of the apostles and prophets to those who have never heard it before. Evangelists are people who share the good news. The word gospel in uh, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion. And that means good news. It's where we get the word evangelism. So an evangelist is a euangelist, is someone who brings the good news, brings the gospel to people. 
You used to call, in the ancient days, they used to call evangelists anybody who uh, was a herald of good news. So if the king had a son, and that son was going to be his heir, the evangelists would go out and proclaim that the son has been born to the king. That was their job. They were evangelists. They, they weren't capital E evangelists sharing the capital G gospel. They were just sharing good news. And in the New Testament, the apostles take that word and they use it in reference to someone who proclaims the word of God to people who have never heard before. This is a, one of the roles of the apostles that they have now passed on to those that they discipled. The apostles were supposed to bring the word of God to those who'd never heard before. Evangelists, unlike apostles, are not supposed to come with new revelation that they have heard directly from God. They are supposed to proclaim the revelation that was given to the apostles. So the apostles lay the foundation. The evangelists build on that foundation. And then... The, the, in some sense, if you, if you think of it as a house, the, the apostles and the prophets are laying the foundation. The evangelists are putting in the framing and the teachers and the shepherds come in and fill in the rest. They're putting down the flooring, they're putting in the drywall, they're painting, they're helping the house to be something that is recognizable as a house. And each of these, uh, each of these offices are essential in the life of a Christian. We need the word of God. If you don't have the word of God, it's going to be very difficult for you to understand who God is. It's going to be nigh unto impossible for you to understand the saving nature of Jesus's work and who Jesus was and what he came to accomplish. Who Jesus is, is what I should have said. Who Jesus is, because Jesus wasn't... Jesus is. Amen. <laughs> Jesus continues to this day, seated at the right hand of the throne on high. So the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists, then you have the shepherds and teachers. So in, in the Greek, the, uh, the shepherds and teachers uh, are not necessarily uh, separated into two categories. Uh, it's probably a better translation is, and the shepherds, that is teachers. So teachers are supposed to be shepherds. Shepherds are supposed to be teachers. There isn't two separate things. One is a shepherd, a gift of shepherding. One is a gift of teaching. Shepherds and teachers have the same role. Maybe they would administer that role in a different way, uh, depending on their personality. But they are, they are the same thing. Shepherds, those who care for the flock are also those who are supposed to teach the flock. Those who care for God's people are supposed to teach God's people. You cannot properly care for God's people unless you teach them. If I never got up to preach, I would be a terrible pastor. If all I ever did was love you and hug you and sit with you and have coffee with you, I would be a terrible pastor. It might be kind of nice to have a buddy to come and sit and have coffee with you, but that's not my job. My job is to teach you. My job is to teach you God's word. Is to build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The, the role of shepherd and teacher is different than the role of evangelist. So some people are called specifically to be evangelists. However, 
or shepherds and teachers are commanded to do the work of an evangelist. So uh, that's not a get out of jail free card. I don't have to evangelize. I do have to evangelize. I'm supposed to do the work of an evangelist. But there are those whom God has specifically called and appointed to be evangelists. One such person I think was Billy Graham, whom God specifically appointed to be an evangelist, to go out into the world and to proclaim the gospel to masses of people who had never heard before. Not necessarily my role, but I am not exempt from the responsibility of being uh, or of doing the work of an evangelist. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that is teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. That means that if you're a Christian, you are supposed to be doing the work of ministry. What is the work of ministry? To bring the word of God to people, to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that God has commanded you. You are supposed to be doing the work of ministry. You are supposed to be bringing the gospel to your neighbors. My job as the pastor and teacher is to bring you the word of God so that you are able to do that better. My responsibility as a pastor is first and foremost to equip Christians for the work of ministry. So my job is not first and foremost to go and knock on doors in the neighborhood and to bring people into the church. That's a good ministry and it's maybe something that I could do, but that's not my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility is to bring the word of God to God's people. My primary responsibility is to shepherd the flock of God that is under my care. That means Christians. A pastor's responsibility, first and foremost, is to Christians. It's not to unbelievers. My primary ministry, and the primary ministry of those who serve as elders in the church, is to the flock of God, not to unbelievers. We are supposed to bring the gospel to unbelievers. But our primary ministry is to the believers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. See, we're all supposed to be working together towards the common goal. As we grow towards Christ-likeness, as we become more like Christ, we're going to do the things that Christ did. And what did Christ do? He went out and he proclaimed the gospel and he brought people into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did. That's what we as Christians, not as not super Christians, not like the really impressive Christians who are really good with the words and stuff. Every Christian is commanded with that responsibility, including pastors and teachers. Shepherds are supposed to be doing that work. We are not above that work. That is the work that every Christian is commanded to do. But God appoints certain men to rise up to be shepherds and teachers, to take that responsibility, to care for the flock of God, to teach the saints, and to equip them for the work of ministry. For building up 
the body of Christ. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, that is teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. We are your personal trainers. We are building up the body of Christ. We are training you to understand your responsibility. And we're going to, we are supposed to be helping you fulfill that responsibility. To build up the body of Christ. And, and, and the purpose of it is found in verse 13. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. Those, those two things, uh, unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, go together. They are the goals. You cannot have a great knowledge of the Son of God and disunity in the church. The more you grow in your knowledge of the Son of God, the more you will be unified as a church. The more we will be unified as a church. And this unity and, and knowledge together, and, and you could even say that that's uh, what you know in your head and, and what you do in your life. Both of those things, right? The, uh, the, uh, uh, the unity of the faith how we interact with each other, and knowledge of the Son of God, how we interact with God, those two things go together. And, and as those things go together, and as we grow in that, that is called maturity. A mature Christian is one who studies the Word and, and comes to know God better on a regular basis and also has a good relationship with other Christians. An immature Christian is either someone who has a great relationship with other Christians, but has no interest in the Bible and no interest in knowing more about God, or is someone who claims that they know God, but has no desire to foster good relationships with other Christians. That is an immature Christian. A mature Christian is someone who recognizes the need for both. That we are supposed to have good relationships with each other. We are supposed to go after good relationships with each other. Fight to have good relationships with each other. And we're supposed to devote ourselves to the word of God and to prayer and to understanding more about who he is. So that we can love him better. And this is mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And, and so you see, again, he is repeating this idea that we are becoming more like Christ as we pursue these. We become more like Christ. The more you read your Bible, the more you pray, the more you will become like Christ. The more that you love the Christians around you, the more you will become like Christ. These things go together and they are a sign of maturity. And the purpose is so that we will no longer be children being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. That we will not believe things just because they sound nice. You shouldn't believe things just because they sound nice. You should believe things because they're true. And you should search the word of God to find the truth. So often we 
reject the, the clear teaching of Scripture on issues like hell, election, women's roles, homosexuality, divorce, and other things just because we don't like the sound of them. We don't like how they make us feel. We base the things that we believe about God, we base our Christian life on how we feel rather than on what the Bible says and what is true. That's immaturity. That's a sign of an immature Christian. Or it's a sign that you're no Christian at all. At best, you're an immature Christian. If you are looking at the Bible and rejecting the things you don't like, that's a sign that you haven't achieved maturity. Not to say that I have achieved maturity perfectly or that any of us have achieved maturity perfectly. But one sign of someone growing in maturity is a person who believes what the Bible says regardless of how it makes them feel. Our feelings are not the arbiters of truth. The way that you feel does not determine what is true. Truth is something that exists outside of you. Amen. And in our age of our age of self-centeredness and self-aggrandizement, we say things like follow your heart. Or we say things like, my truth is not your truth. I'm just living my truth. No, no. There is not your truth and my truth. There is the truth and there is your opinion. Amen. We are commanded to believe what is true. Regardless of how it makes us feel on the inside or how uncomfortable it makes us. It's like a child with vaccines. If you ask a child if they would like to get a needle, the child will say no. Because the only thing that they understand is the unpleasant feeling that the needle gives. They don't recognize the medicine that is inside the needle, which will prevent them from dying. Maturity is recognizing... That sometimes truth is a needle. And it pricks, but it helps. And that is what we are to strive for as Christians. To take the medicine. To receive the vaccine that is truth. To believe what the Bible says even when we don't like it. Even when it makes us uncomfortable. And that is a sign of maturity. We don't want to be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We want to be mature, understanding the truth and committing ourselves to it, growing in Christ-likeness. So I urge you this morning, brothers and sisters, that you will search for the truth. And that you will pursue these two ideals, unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. That you will work on your relationships with other Christians. That you will go after the truth with all you can. For those of you maybe who are not Christians, turn away 
from sin and believe the truth. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be saved. Turn away. Trust in the Lord and you will be saved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came in the flesh and bore our sin on the cross. Sin that we could not bear in and of ourselves. Sin that we cannot overcome apart from you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize the significance of your death and resurrection. That we would all be saved, that we would all grow in our unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. I pray that we would pursue truth, that we would be mature, that we would recognize our responsibility as Christians, which is to bring the Word of God to the lost. Lord, I pray for myself and for the elders of this church that you would give us strength and wisdom as we equip the saints for this work, the work of ministry, that we would be able to foster the unity in our church and that we would be able to help people grow in the knowledge of the Son of God so that our congregation would grow into maturity in love for one another and in faithfulness to you. These things we ask 